Hello and welcome to episode 2 of the Room 2250 podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Charlie. Today I'm joined by my co-host, Vlad, and our special guest, Nikita Verabay. Nikita studied computer science at U of T and has since gone on to found his own startup, and he's also involved in the world of venture capital. Nikita, how about you tell us a bit more about yourself and uh, more about your company and your other endeavors uh, in the world of tech? Yeah, yeah. So I started off... um doing computer science at U of T, uh, focused a lot, of, uh, a lot on math and uh, did my specialist in AI. Um, I was lucky enough to you know, start off working as a web dev uh, in my first uh, summer at, yeah, after, after first year. Um, went on to be a team lead at basically like a web development agency. Uh, and afterwards, I, I really got into like kind of trying to help spread AI education, got into this, uh, was a dean at the School of AI until um, I don't know if anybody knows the background or behind that, but it all kind of like the whole organization started to collapse a little bit after some controversies. So, um, and since then, I've been um, I've been working on my startup, Treasured, and what we do is we build um, we basically help companies build 3D exhibits in the web. Think like you're visiting a, a real like museum or art gallery, but you can do it through your browser. And yeah. That's super cool. Uh, I guess my first question is, how did you get started in uh, web development? Uh, I'm I'm currently in my second year at U of T, and we haven't touched really anything to do with that. I had to learn it all on my own. So I'm wondering where that drive came from and what, uh, what encouraged you to get started in that. Yeah, I mean... I was really lucky because I had a high school computer science class. So, and we had this really fantastic teacher, Mr. Fabroa. He um, taught us the beginnings of JavaScript and some like HTML, CSS, and then later on, it got in, it got transitioned to the standard Python and stuff like that. Um, but also, it was I think a lot of, mostly honestly, it's self taught. I feel like. Uh, I don't wanna. I don't wanna say anything too bad about universities, but like they don't definitely don't give you enough of the practical skills. Anything that you want to do in like any of this web dev or really building anything, like I I feel like you have to do a lot of self study. It was going on stuff like Coursera, watching a ton of YouTube videos. Um, like I really wanted to make games back in high school, so I learned. Like I spent the whole summer just watching and making, watching a ton of YouTube videos on Unity and like how to make games and start building some basic stuff. But um, and then I thought it would never be useful ever again, and now here I am making a thirty web startup, and all I do, well, a lot of what I do is Unity. So it came that that, that sounds yeah. that sounds really nice. Uh, I I actually the this this like make developing 3d 3d environments uh on the web is something that i've had an idea with too like in high school like i was thinking about like a school map where where like you want to visualize the class all right here's a 3d map and like i thought like I, i've had that similar idea but it's nice to see that you're actually going about doing it um, yeah yeah our goal is really to make like more like immersive environments because it's like something like you go on the web and it's like in most places like it's purely about just absorbing information. Like you go to a site, you quickly like scan it, you're done and that's it. But there's nothing really to create something a little more like immersive and, you know, get people excited. Cause right now, like, you know, stuff like, um, I mean, especially with COVID, a lot of physical places are closed down, but there's a certain like magic that you get in other video games that you just don't get on the rest of the web. So we're kind of trying to like bridge those two together. Um, yeah. 
that's a really cool story, and I'd love to talk more about Treasured as we get into this, but why don't we start kind of towards the beginning with Climax Media Inc., and you can kind of talk about your role at that company and the, the things you accomplished there. Yeah, yeah. So I started off as uh, basically like a front end. Well, sorry. I was lucky enough the summer before that I happened to do a course on, on Coursera, or sorry, no, I think it was edX actually. Um, and I did a full C sharp course. And then, um, my dad, he's a contractor working at a bunch of different companies. So one company that he went to, uh, which was climax that he worked and he's like, he's like, Oh, by the way, I have, uh, I have, I have my kid. He's like, uh, wants to work as a web, um, he what he's like looking for a web dev job and he actually learned a bunch of this other stuff so like part of it was my dad had definitely I'm, I'm very thankful for you know helping me get into that company uh but the other part was like i actually took the initiative to learn a, like a bunch of c-sharp server development then like he told me the company uses angular so like actually sorry um yeah at that time it was started off with angular so i'm like okay in like a uh, couple of weeks, I learned a whole bunch of like Angular development just so that like when I came there, I sounded like I knew what the hell I was doing. Because um, they never really took an intern on until me. I was like their first one. So like, um, but I think the goal that you want to do is like, because any company that you intern at, I've, I have an internship at, and I've heard this from a bunch of my other friends too, is like they'll give you like the bare minimum they can trust you with until like you prove that like you actually know what the hell you're doing. So like I went from like, you know, they give me gave me a tiny snippet of a page and like here you can touch this, you know, uh, to like I was working on their servers, I was doing their authentication, like figuring out like uh, building like whole pages and stuff like that. So it was, um, it's all about, you know, showing that you can have that initiative because if you just do what you're given, you're never good. Like they'll never build more trust to you unless, I mean, you could do that part really well, but you gotta um, kind of ask for more things to do and show that you actually have an understanding in them um, because in the, or else like, you know, you have to build that trust somehow. And um, yeah, and then so I returned. So after that, I returned the next summer in a team lead position. They gave me a couple other, uh, a couple of, and they're like, okay, let's bring out a whole bunch of interns this time. So they, um, so I was I was leading a new team. I had, um, they gave me a guy who like never actually. He, he was mostly a backend guy, but now we had to implement some stuff in React and I was just learning React myself because they had this whole new movement to it. And uh, they gave me a guy who was really smart, but he barely even programmed in JavaScript ever, not to mention React. So like, uh, but that's where like, I, I really enjoyed teaching. I used to be before like programming back in high school, I used to be a swimming instructor. So like, I think being able to explain things really clearly to like a five-year-old helps you a lot everywhere else in life too. Um, and so, uh, this, this guy I was working with, he was, he was really smart. So I was able to explain to him a bunch about JavaScript and teach him some react fairly quickly. And then we had, uh, uh, another girl joined our team and then we had a couple more other people eventually brought onto the team as well because the project started off we were building this new uh, kind of mapping section for honda and um kind of like a deal like a thing to locate dealerships and a couple of other things like on top of like google maps uh and 
it started off like as this like shorter project but just like building a proof of concept and as they saw like all oh, this thing like works pretty well they started adding more and more people onto my team to just like as it became more priority and yeah it was uh it was a lot of fun because i one is i realized like at that point it's like you have to at some point be able to be the one to say like because before the first time I was working there, it's like I was I could go to a bunch of other people and ask questions and you know have them answered. Now like I'm supposed to be the guy with all the answers, and so like it was a little bit intense because I had to do a lot a lot of researching on my own. But like honestly, like being able to search the web efficiently is like the most like important skill I think anybody can have because it's like we have all this information readily available to you and everybody's constantly having making answers for like almost anything you can possibly search for and it's like if you can track down that information you can like go way further right um i i actually i have one question about um so you you've had you you, you were tasked with doing some sort of mapping uh program for for honda is that what you said yeah yeah um, they basically wanted to locate, um, be able for a user to come on, find a dealer, find one of their like approved dealerships nearby, and then get you know directions to them and so on. So, but it all had to be still like branded and their thing. So we basically built it on top of like React, Google Maps, and then like a couple of other pieces from their own. Uh, like we had to grab data from their own database about all their dealerships and their locations. Now, now was um, what were you were you because it was your second term, were you tasked? Oh, were you tasked with uh, with the project like on your own? Like on your own? Here's your team, or was it still like you were being supervised by somebody and they were? Uh, majority of the time, it was kind of I was on my I was basically on my own. Like they have they have a like overall um, uh, I guess like front end architect, and so uh, this guy named Terry, and he was like amazing like he was on like some whole other level uh and i could still like go to him for like help and some questions but uh that was like just a little bit like here and there like most of the week it was like i would just you know i would run like daily stand-ups with the you know, we would run daily stands up stand-ups with the team uh see like you know how everybody was progressing and they more so provided us with like um how they generally work is like uh, there's an external design agency. They bring in mock-ups. They like kind of create how the general look and feel of it should be, and it's up to us to kind of implement it. Uh, we had a separate. Um, luckily, most of the back end for this kind of already existed, so we only had I only had to do like some tweaking and stuff here and there on the C sharp side of things, but uh, majority of our work was in React. Um, so more more so of it was that. Um, the thing is, there was also not that other, many other people that I could go to because we were in this interesting transition period where, like, uh, this is one of the first projects that they were doing transitioning from Angular to React. Um, and so besides Terry, who was, like, the main front-end architect, and most of the other people on the team weren't really even hired to have a lot of React skills. So basically, like, everybody was learning on the spot. <laughs> um, but it was... Uh, it was a very it was a very interesting experience. You mentioned sure. you made the switch from Angular to React, and I've heard a lot of people kind of shitting on Angular. 
for not being as good as React, and I'm wondering what your experience is having used both. Yeah, um, honestly, I think they're both like pretty good. Like, also that was Angular way back in the day. It's evolved a ton, a ton since then. Um, I think React, it's pretty quick and simple to pick up. I think they're part of the reasoning people like it is. Um, it's still very similar to HTML and like all you got to do is like you got to think about like how you're passing your like you have your components and you just pass stuff down to them and you send callbacks back up and like the whole model like I think that part of the reason it's very easy for a beginner to um, to get into and I think that's probably why it's blowing up as much as it is um, angular I think is very powerful some things I still like about it more like I think definitely maintaining a lot a global state is easier and like a couple of other things it's just you have to almost subscribe to a certain way of thinking or like a certain um uh way and like there's i think it's just a little bit harder maybe to get into initially than than react or like uh but uh yeah, I can't really comment on speeds or anything like that because I, I don't know. I, I think uh, they're both like doing pretty great on that end. I, I guess it just reacts a little bit easier for a beginner to get into. And at a certain point that like community reaches such a critical mass that like I can just so easily grab any package to do literally anything. Uh, and I can also find support on basically anything like there's stuff like now, it's not just React now, right? There's stuff like a treasure we're using mostly Next.js, which is basically like a server-side rendering library for like for like around React. Um, and so like, it's kind of funny to see, it's like React's the framework, but then there's like frameworks around the framework because of how, how, how popular uh, it got. So I think, yeah, I can't comment on the current state of Angular because I haven't used it forever. What I, what I know is that it's still very common in like uh, banks and like larger and larger organizations. There's something about it that they really like. So maybe it's I don't know. Maybe it's easier to guarantee something with how the front end either looks or functions because that's like really important to them, right? But um, I think right now, also, if you want to start a new project, the thing is like also how easily can you find somebody else to like. If you aren't a solo person, you want to always think about your tech, about if you're starting a project, will you eventually need a team? And if you will eventually need a team, are you using a technology where it's pretty easy to hire, like hire for, like not hire for it, but find teammates for, right? For example, on the back end, we're, st we're using um, Go right now. Um, and Go is really great. I really love the language. It's like, it's like a, it's like the best of both worlds between like like C and like Node or, or like JavaScript with like Node because like the libraries and stuff, the way things are structured uh, can feel very similar to using Express. But um, it's a pretty hip language right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's, it's not like everybody knows what Go is right now and like they don't teach it in schools or anything like that. So like it can be a little bit hard to find people that know it. But also if like I think once you're a pretty decent dev, like unless the language is like way different, like you can just kind of pick it up. Like we've had people come on like our front end uh, lead right now, Treasured, like 
he's never touched code before, but he kind of just took a look at how how we implemented our backends and just implemented his own endpoint after like a couple of days of just like searching up a couple of things about Go and like he's never touched Go before, right? So it's like, um, well, it's like well, once once you learn once you learn like a few programming languages, you tend to pick up the the next ones fairly quickly. So. Yeah, yeah. It's like unless it has its own some languages are like much more like I guess like opinionated or like you have to do something in a very specific way. Um or even not languages, but I guess more so frameworks. Um uh like um uh like I guess around C even it's like C sharp or like Java, like um the things like the thing I remember from doing a C sharp uh backend is like before I can even get to writing an endpoint, like in dot, like I used to be like a lot programming a lot in dot net, and it's like, um, it's almost like you have to could do a whole bunch of these other things before you can even finally get to writing about an endpoint. Whereas like, if I'm just using like Node, it's like, okay, just import Express, run your create your endpoint, done kind of thing, right? Yeah, what I found with Node is that there's a lot of things that you can do with it, but there's really only a few things that you're going to do with it. Yeah, exactly. And, and you can just start off with what you're going to do, right? And for like a project, that makes a lot more sense. Um, but that's why Java and C Sharp are popular for like a lot of also, you know, once again, like enterprise, banks, stuff where things need to be a very certain way. Because the problem with, um, I guess stuff like Node and JavaScript is like, everybody can do it a whole bunch of different ways. And like, while for yourself implementing it, it can be great. Like if you're at a bank, they don't want you to know, um, they want everybody, everything to be very standardized because first of all, they have stuff running from that was built like 40 years ago. And also they need to, you know, have a certain standard or else, you know, because well, well, I think they're they're dealing with so like so many clients and like a you know ton of money flowing back and forth. But if you um, so that's why they're a bit more obviously hesitant to use stuff like this, especially because the um, you know the culture around JavaScript can often be like oh just install this package, install that package, install this package, which uh, and like eventually you have this gigantic dependency list. And you're just like, what the hell's going on here? Kind of thing, right? It's like there was a story, um, I think it was a couple of years back, like a whole bunch of services around the world got taken down because one guy, uh, there was this one package that did just like, it was literally a package just to do something very simple. It was like some sort of string comparisons or something. I forget what it, exactly what it did, but it was like used for only this one tiny purpose. And somebody's like, okay, we need a package for that, I guess. Um, and the guy maintaining it, he like, um, had some bug, he, there was some guy bug in the code that was created and it like destroyed a whole bunch of companies for like a, for, for like an hour, like a whole bunch of stuff was down and everybody was panicking. They're like, what the hell's going on? It's because this one string compared or, or this one tiny package that like was used by like millions of people got like messed up. So it's like, you gotta be careful. Yeah, that reminds me of a story I heard about pretty recently about a change to UK copyright law where the new law would protect more of the code underneath a project as well as the project itself. And what that would mean is that there's a bunch of projects on GitHub that violate this law 
and are also dependencies in a bunch of other projects. And so those projects are also violating copyright law and it just propagates throughout the entire system because it's so interconnected. Oh, damn, that's interesting. I didn't, I didn't know about that. So like, does that mean like if I'm using a package that has like a certain copyright that might not... Oh, I guess so it's like if one open source pack, like you have that copyrighted thing, an open source package uses that, some other guys use this one, and now they're all kind of screwed, basically. Um, yeah, but I mean, in practice, it's you're not going to get hit with a, a copyright mm -hmm. claim or anything because it's so hard to enforce that it's just right, like, right. it's such a That's mess a... Of, of dependencies that there's no way they mm -hmm. can possibly yeah. do anything about yeah, it. Yeah, it's uh, government's having a really tough, tough, tough time, I feel like, dealing with, with tech in general right now. Like, there was, um, uh, yeah, just around the whole thing with, like, the Google and, like, new sharing new... Well, I guess that's not a tech-specific thing. That's more of, like, a, who, ha who has ownership of news. But, like, the stuff happening in Australia and other places right now where they're... Um, it's like, should Google, should Google be paying for news or should they be... Um, Google's argument is like, you know, we're actually helping spread all your news. So like you should be kind of, you know, happy to be on this platform and we are making it like accessible to you. But then like they're saying, well, well everybody's using it. But then the news publishers are like, well, everybody's using Google because we have their, you have our news. And so we're helping you. So you should be paying us. Um, so it's like, yeah, I don't know. It's random rant, but it's, it's, it's interesting. <laughs> um, how about you tell us about the tech stack that you're using for Treasured? I'd imagine getting 3D video in the browser is no easy task. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's actually like a full 3D, like kind of like gaming experience in the in the browser. So what we use is primarily Unity. Uh, well, that's that's what we the gaming part we do in Unity, uh, which is you know a game like one of the most popular game engines out there. Um, the two big ones being like probably Unity and Unreal. Uh, no particular, I mean, the, the main reason I'm using Unity is one is like, it was the first thing I learned. So I didn't, I thought, you know, if I'm starting to build this like larger company and things are important, I'm not going to do it on something I've never used before. Um, and also, I mean, I think Unity is a little more, um, I think Unreal is very focused on this, the more like the AAA titles and focusing on that. But we wanted something where, you know, um, Unity deals a lot with like you know mobile games and all this other stuff. So it's it's something crazy. It's like some like sixty percent of all the like top mobile games are actually on like across the app stores are made in Unity. Um, so we figured like our goal was to make something that works well across um, you know across all sorts of devices. So that's part of why we built it, and also it's used a lot in schools and stuff so it's easier to find it was easier to find people to work on it too so what is your compile target for for your unity project are you are you putting it into something like WebAssembly or yeah 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 so it's uh so yeah so unity the nice thing they have is it can go basically into all the different um it can easily go into all the different um you can, you can compile to you know uh pc mac whatever um phones uh, Xbox, PS4, all that stuff. Um, and one of the targets it has is Web uh, WebGL. So it can basically compile it to WebGL. And then in the background, yeah, it is basically a bunch of WebAssembly code uh, with some with a few other pieces. Uh, and yeah, basically, it's it, these game engines are pretty nice because they let you target whatever you want. We actually started off a while back. We were first making up like a 
installable experience that you would run on your computer. You'd have this sort of like museum and like you can create, but we realized like the most important thing about this is like the ease of access and like people aren't going to wait for like a download, install, do this other stuff just to visit like a museum's page that they could just open on their website, you know? So it's like, that's, that's, so we switched over. We decided, you know what, we're going to make this super accessible. And now we have an experience that you kind of just click open and within like a few seconds you have like you're inside a museum in your browser. You can walk around, interact with stuff. Um, and yeah, so anyway, uh, we we use Unity. We use uh, React on the front end. When we kind of built this layer between React and Unity to kind of interact between the two, where the idea is, um, you know, one thing Unity or game engines aren't great at in general is building like the UI part of things. Like, um, doing anything 3d is is fantastic uh doing game programming movement all that great ui pretty much a pain uh but uh so we're like why not just make all the ui in, in react since it's kind of overlaid on top of it and that way we can very quickly you know uh, iterate over it make changes it's a lot easier for designers to make it look nice um and that's uh one of the tricks we've been using also lets us iterate a lot faster because uh, you know, I can literally make a change in my React code, hot reloads instantly. If I want to see something, uh, if I want to change how in the end it looks in the browser and on the Unity side of things, or this will be the same case with almost any game engine you use, you're going to have to run a build, which can take like five, 10 minutes, or if it's something more complex, complex and if, or if you have like a weaker computer, it could take like 20, 30 minutes, which, you know doesn't really isn't that as great of like a development experience if you need to iterate over just a piece of UI quickly. Um, so yeah, so we use Unity, React, and we use Go on our servers. Uh, we have um, our setup is we have um, our own dev server that's running on like literally like bare metal at my house. Uh, we bought this um, we just went on eBay and we bought this like uh, server, like, like server rack from like, uh, e it basically is like this like, like Intel server that they would use in like literally like, you know, like giant like server warehouses. But we just like bought just one unit of it. And it has like, it, it's kind of insane. Cause like it, that thing would normally cost, like if it was like a new version of it would cost like 20K or something. But, um, uh, but we were able to buy it for like a thousand dollars because it was like three, four years old. So uh, like these things, like when they're brand new, they cost a ton of money, but once they age even a bit, for some reason, their price goes like, phew, like just drops like in insanely. So it was really nice. Cause the thing has like something like 120 or 150 gigabytes of Ram in it. And like, and, um, no, I think I said two something, but anyway, um, great for running all our servers locally. And then we run for, and then our production runs on AWS. Uh, we use Red Hat's OpenShift, which is like basically um, kind of their framework on top of Kubernetes, uh, which just makes it easier to manage, easier to uh, like, just like um, kind of orchestrate everything, kind of helps you automate it further as well. So we basically have Amazon and we have EC2 running uh, like a bunch of VMs and on those VMs runs our like OpenShift Kubernetes cluster. Uh, and then uh, so we are able to kind of scale that dab up or down as, as, as we need to. 
and um, yeah, and then we have a we we make use of a bunch of other uh, Amazon services like uh, S3 for like our media storage because basically users can upload their own like photos, audio, and video and place it inside this 3D environment. So we that so that's where our um, so all of that gets sent to S3. When it goes to S3, we actually have like a Lambda that runs on Amazon. It picks up the images, uh, takes a look at them, um, resizes them because, for example, somebody uploads a ginormous image, but then somebody wants to look at it on like their phone or maybe they have a weaker internet connection. They don't need to load the original like couple hundred megabyte like image or something. Um, so we have a Lambda that basically pulls it from the in, we have like an ingest S3 bucket, it pulls it in, uh, resizes it into a bunch of forms and then puts it into like another S3 bucket for uh, for storage. Uh, uh, that, that was actually really interesting that you pointed out the the images and, and, the, and the audio. Can you actually touch on how, like what the purpose of uploading the images and the audio is for? Because I'm, I'm having trouble thinking of it in my head. Yeah, yeah. Imagine you're like in, uh, uh, you want to create an art gallery on the web, right? You need a way to put, uh, you go on Treasured, you place all your, um, you can kind of design your 3D space. So like you imagine like playing The Sims or something, you like place the walls, place your furniture around and stuff like that. And then now you actually have to bring in your actual content, right? Like you want uh, to put, because you can choose from our existing con, you can choose from our like library to actually, you know, of templates to design the space. But then in the end, like if you want to put up an, an artist's artwork, you need to be able to upload your own, right? So uh, we have sort of this like web um, content management system. It looks kind of like Notion uh, where you can basically um, write articles that are kind of like, I guess, similar to like medium or it's like, uh, you write your article, uh, and in there, that's where you write all your content. So you can, um, then pull those images and place them in the 3d environment. So that the idea is that you walk up to say a frame on the, a frame on the wall. It has like some, like recently a famous artist, Beeple, he actually sold his like NFT artwork for like 69 million or something. Yeah, I was seeing, I was yeah, seeing yeah. that. Uh, it's, 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 it's crazy stuff going on in that space. But before I get distracted, uh, imagine he wanted to put his artwork up on the wall. He would like upload it, uh, upload it to the platform and then basically be able to now place it, create a plaque above it, type some text inside of it. Um, as you're walking through the space, you can have, for example, like audio files play when you like enter a certain zone or when you interact with something. So people can also upload audio files and also embed uh, YouTube videos as well. So we're not we're right now we're uh, right now like because we didn't want to store way too much stuff on our servers. We like our hack around that was just like just tell them upload it to YouTube and we'll just embed it. But we are um, we are looking into. Um, uh, actually allowing our own video upload as well, just because um, recently they draw the support inside of like Unity by default for having YouTube videos inside the 3D environment, like literally like in a wall, on a wall or something is kind of uh, because of a bunch of changes that happen, it's not as supported anymore. But if we, and getting it like from the YouTube servers is a bit of a challenge. And I, I'm not sure they actually even want you doing it unless you like, in, because like they don't want like just a video playing on the wall unless they you see the YouTube player and like all that stuff in there, right? 
because they're okay with because they want people to still know it all came from YouTube, right? And then be able to get the suggested videos and all that, right? I'd imagine you'd have to play ads as well, right? Um, yeah, yeah, we would have to if the video had ads on it, right? So, oh, sorry, um, I didn't mean to interrupt, but that would be so sick if you're walking through a museum. And then, and then, like you have like the YouTube playing, YouTube video playing on the wall, and and for for you guys to, <laughs> for you guys to make money, you guys just run some ads on the thing, and then it just, yeah, 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 yeah. Um. So what we're doing is yeah. So what we're letting, uh, the thing is though, like if it's like a museum or something else, like and they have like, um, they have their visitors coming in. They don't want some other random ad playing inside their museum, right? So it's. Um, uh, especially if we can't, maybe if we had some control over the ads, maybe, but since we have zero control, if it, it's coming from YouTube, then we, um, actually, sorry, I think you can control the sources of ads a little bit on YouTube just by like, you know, specify, specifying your audience and stuff like that. But still in the end, the, the museum doesn't want ads inside their thing. They want it like a more like, you know, focused and immersive experience. So, um, so sorry so what we're so what we're planning to add is like video upload support but we um uh right now we didn't have a need for that but as more and more people are doing that it's uh, it's kind of growing um so how did you make the decision to do art in museums uh so we uh it, it wasn't really just art focused we started off so we actually started off back um our original idea was creating uh these museums for family history we actually debuted um at this conference called roots tech uh in 20 at, uh, in early 2020 before the pandemic hit it's like the largest family history slash genealogy conference in the world where we basically had this like game experience where people who are like interested in you know stuff like ancestry and that stuff could create their own like family museum and put up their photos and like try and get engage and have other people from their family come in and enjoy it um but uh we realized one is that um it, it started off like pretty well but then what we noticed as we kept going is that one the 3d sort of downloadable experience wasn't where it needed to be because it um if people are already kind of gaming, they're okay with installing a new game and all that stuff on their on their computer. But a lot of the people in our target demographic weren't necessarily gamers. They like might have never tried this sort of stuff before. So like going through that process was like more than they wanted to do. And they also um, they also didn't really want to. Uh, sorry, we also realized that these the the people that um were kind of filling their family museums they you know they still weren't like professional like content creators i guess like it's still somebody's like mom or grandma or grandpa that were going on here uploading a couple of family photos um but we wanted to look into um who had a more like dire need for this because for them it was like very much a nice to have whereas like it's um I think it's much better or to build a company, you know, around when you're actually solving like a very direct pain point and like something like it's a need rather than a must to have, sorry, than a nice to have. And so we pivoted um, a couple of months back. Uh, we focused, one is realized, okay, we need to stop building the 3D downloadable experience. We gotta build, uh, we gotta build it for the web. Uh, and also we pivoted to 
uh, museums. And as we started working with museums, it like an obvious extension of that was art galleries because they basically do very similar things with just a bit of a different reasoning. Like museums want to mostly educate you about like stuff that happened and art galleries want to, you know, uh, showcase and then sell the art. But both of them have very similar needs. And for both of them, like this 3D space kind of helps enhance what they're doing. Uh, so that's how we got into it. Uh, like that brings up a, like your your whole idea is so fascinating to me, and I I'm thinking about different pathways you can go with with it, like like NFTs, like we were talking about. I think I think like one big thing, like I don't know, admission fees to to enter the museum would be would be a nice way. Yeah, yeah, that's something that's something a lot of our customers have have been talking about is like they want to see if there's a way to charge for people to come in so and that's something we are actually working on so part one part is uh some of our museums though are more mostly they just want to use this to just grow their community they don't want uh anybody to have to pay but others are saying yeah we want people to um there's a couple of ideas one is to have a sort of like part of the museum that's free for everybody to visit to gather people's interests and then you go to a room and it's like oh members only kind of thing right and people are curious so like what's in that like exhibit it's sort of like if you ever go to like the rom or something else like that they have like you can buy an admission to the main museum and they can have a separate admission to like you know their exclusive like um you know sometimes they have these like traveling exhibitions and it's this thing's only here for a month so like it also creates this like fear of missing out on it it's like oh well there's something cool like i gotta go now you know and so yeah definitely um a lot of interest around doing admissions also around doing uh guided tours so we're, we're building a system for one is that when you visit you can sort of set up the main like hot spots around the museum that you want to visit and it takes you through it uh and but the other thing is also that you could have more of a social experience for example uh if you know when people do like school trips to a museum right or or anywhere similar like but here you could have like a, like a virtual school trip to a museum because the teacher can just go jump on zoom with the kids they all enter the same experience and they can go through and then the museum curator can join in on the experience and say actually guide them through this space and uh, sort of tell them about the history and it how it just helps it more, more make it more engaging than you know I'm just looking at a PowerPoint slide and there's like you know a bunch of text and a photo um, so we're exploring that kind of space right now as well there's um, uh, just a lot of interesting stuff going on now is it is it is it your like is it your startup or did you start it up with with a couple friends yeah so there was there was it, it started off with me and another founder um his name's Vito and uh he's kind of like the business side on the tech side and um since like we worked on a bunch of different ideas in the past together uh so we um yeah we worked on a whole bunch of different ideas because we always were like interested in like how do we make storytelling better and how do we make things like more engaging and we worked on like apps and stuff like that in the past but in the end, I was like, I, I love gaming. Like, I'm pretty big into, in, into like, um, especially, like, you know, really immersive, like, three, like, like single-player experiences, you know, like, Witcher, Bioshock, um, that type of stuff, where, like, the story is what, like, really drives you. And we're like, 
Um, and so I was always thinking, it's like, how do we bring that to like the rest of the internet, right? Like, how do we um, make it more so that because a lot of a lot of these like a lot of these um, organizations, I guess, like they really need a way to better tell stories. That's more than like you know, like social media is great for like little quick thoughts, but it's not as great for like you know telling a story or making something that's more engaging to people. Um, it's all like. Or sorry, it's not to like engage people in your stuff. Their goal is to like engage in stuff that's like all over the platform. Like, like if you're on Instagram or on Facebook, like you're often like most of the time is you're spending is in the feed, right? Um, but we want to make like individual help individuals stand out to the people that really care about them. Like if somebody really cares about like uh, World War Two, like. Um, history they can really dive and explore this museum and make get more like kind of focused into it right whereas like a lot of these other thing platforms they kind of throw like a ton of content at you and you're kind of just like skimming through it quickly um and so it, yeah it's just a different different type of experience yeah the vision behind this project is is really really cool Maybe you could tell us a bit more about your time at the School of AI. Yeah, yeah. So um, I was always really interested in trying to like help, you know, spread um, spread education. Uh, and you know, I was doing uh, like my computer science degree was uh, I did was doing a specialist in AI. And so I was following a bunch of YouTubers. Uh, the one that created School of AI was Siraj Raval, and he was like really big on, on YouTube. He creates like a lot of really fantastic content. Um, and basically he eventually created this thing called the School of AI, where he was basically encouraging people around the world to create like meetups, organize them and basically run um, like little educational like sessions, bringing people up to speed on AI and all that stuff. And um, what was great is like, there was this really big community that he created and they were all very supportive of each other and all of that stuff. And so I, um, he created like wood, like resources for you and help like, like packages and helping you how you like organize the, like your own meetup and all this stuff. They would run ones online. And then, so I started, a, I started a local one and like, um, honestly, I wasn't expecting the amount of interest that it would receive. Uh, the first one that like, I just like made a meetup group posted in the, in the school of AI kind of like chats and on LinkedIn and like Twitter and other places. And like, uh, around 20, 30 people showed up in, in person, uh, to the first one I was just doing like, um, an intro, like around, uh, around neural networks, like how they work, like gradient descent, all this other stuff, like just like, uh, like primer stuff and like, uh, like an overview of the main pieces that you need to know and diving deep a bit deeper into some of the areas. And it was really interesting cause like all sorts of people, like people with a ton of programming experience who were just interested in AI. One guy showed up who was like, literally like a professor, like out of like Waterloo or something. I'm like, holy shit, like what's this guy doing here? Like I'm just like doing a little intro workshop, but he was like, 
Yeah, well, he was working in another area, but he was interested in this as well. So he's like, why not show up? And he, he was curious himself. And then I think he also brought his kid who was starting starting over there. So he's like, yo, you gotta, you gotta learn this. Um, so it was, it, it was just interesting, like in a bunch of people of just all varying levels of experience. And most of them found it interesting. And a lot of them showed up to the following up sessions. Like I was really interested in sort of like, I think an area that was at that point and even now is maybe still uh, needs more uh, figuring out around is sort of like the infrastructure and like the DevOps, I guess, uh, around AI. So like one of my workshops is also around like um, using Docker, but like combining that with like how to like run Jupyter Notebooks and like how to run like containerized experiments. So like basically uh, for those of that don't know what Docker is, maybe it's like, it's basically a way to run all your code inside of this, like, uh, basically like this little container, like that's has an environment that's always replicated exactly the same way, which is like really important to be able to do because especially if you're doing like any a scientific experiment, right? Because uh, you want to make sure that your environment isn't in any way like messing with your results. And also that like you can, your colleagues can run it as well. So, or like your teammates, right? Because um, the classic problem is that, you know, oh, runs on my computer, doesn't run on my friend's computer, you know, and what the hell's going on? Um, so Docker helps solve a lot of that um, and makes it easier to like, uh, then whatever runs on your local computer should run in the cloud as well, because you're literally taking the same code, deploying it over there, same container, right? And so I'm like, why is nobody using this for like ML, you know? So like I did a workshop on that and then I did some other things. Um, unfortunately, eventually I got a bit too busy, like, cause it, it was like, I would do like a one, two hour, like no, no the workshops would be more like, yeah, two hours. Um, but I would be preparing for like a week basically to do that two hour workshop. Cause like, I really want, like, I actually cared a lot. Right. And I want to do a very like good job at presenting that information. Um, and so they were good. But, uh, at that time I was, uh, taking like five courses at U of T also working part-time at, uh, part-time at, uh, Climax and also doing some other stuff as well. So I was like, I just, like I was overloaded. Um, so I, I had to drop one of the things. So eventually I, uh, I didn't, I didn't quite, uh, I didn't continue as much with that, but eventually, uh, but you know, a, a lot of that still helped because I made a lot of really great connections and the people did say that, you know, they learned a lot. So in the end, I'm happy about it. And, um, I think school of AI is still going on, but there, like, there was some, there was a bunch of controversy around Siraj and around the way he ran the company because eventually, um, or like the organization, I guess, because eventually they they got into doing some stuff with like paid courses or something like that. Um, I can't say too much on it right now because I don't re I don't know all the, all the details of what happened because there's something to do with paid courses and I think they didn't deliver on what the people were paying for and the, like people got angry stuff like that uh, but um, I think he stepped down but then the organization basically just continued on because it was still a great idea to do and so there's still a bunch of like uh school of ai meetups running around the world and it's that's pretty awesome can you tell us a bit more about your venture capital stuff and what your role is and all of that yeah so um i'm basically working on a fund where 
um, you know, a, a lot of funds internally have, um, my, many funds work on in a way where there's still a lot of like manual kind of labor being done and a lot of uh, things that just aren't automated. So like I was brought in to like uh, learn about the fund, also like do some kind of due diligence on the companies. Basically what they wanted to do is like, you know, they invested into a bunch of tech companies and they were saying like, let's take some of these companies and see if like we can actually use their tech to improve our own fund, right? Um, so I was using... Um, uh, I was using a bunch of their tech to basically improve how like a lot of the processes inside the fund run to like automate it, like help gather more data from uh, portfolio companies. Um, just because uh, there's a lot of processes that were way taking way too long and like the fund's still doing very successfully, but they're like, we can do this a lot better. We know we can, this can be, there's a better way. Um, I don't know how much more I can talk about just because a lot of this stuff is kind of uh, confidential. So like, I'll leave it at that. You're someone who's worked at quite a number of tech companies. And I'm wondering if you can give some people some advice, say um, people that are just looking for maybe their first internship in software development. What are some red flags that you might come across when considering whether or not you want to work for a certain company? Yeah, well, I, I would say one is like, can they actually pay you? Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, a lot of startups will generally do something where, uh, you know, one is like how, uh, if they can pay you or not, like, uh, I gotta admit that like I treasured for the first, like quite a while, like we couldn't pay people as much, like a bunch of people working on part-time and stuff like that. So, uh, but you need to see what value you're getting back out of it because like for a lot of us, like we look, worked with, a with like some students. And like, I made sure to like teach each one of them like a ton of stuff, right? And I think if a, and what we, we were like pretty transparent about, one is they need to be transparent about what their stage is at, right? And what their benefits are and what the expectations are, right? Like we made it clear that like, you know, um, anybody that wanted to work with us, they wanted to work on it because they really, really liked the idea. And we were off, like I was personally offering to like, you know, help train them a bunch, explore, like explain a bunch of things because I actually have experience like from like I mentioned from Climax and other places. Right. Um, and so I made sure like all the people, even though like, um, a lot of them sort of like unpaid internships, but I made sure that like they learned a ton, a ton of stuff. Like they went from like being like you know no experience to now being like very like accomplished devs so but that's honestly it's hard to like somebody could tell you they're gonna do that and like they could meet it or no they could not meet it. in my case i meant it and i did it with them but um somebody else could say that and they don't so um that's something you still need to watch out for but the main thing you need to do i guess is um if it is a situation you're going in, that's like, I guess similar to our company, what we said to them is like, you know, we're not really doing a, you know, a super like in-depth contract that you have to work for us for the next like three, like four months or whatever, or however long it is. It's like, you're working out with us because you want to and, and because we offer you this and that, like we make sure to like always be very open about communication. So if the startup is open about communication, that's a good sign. 
if it seems like they're like you know kind of trying to bullshit you or like they're too like um they need to be transparent about what the situation actually is at the company and then in terms of like if um like other things to just look out for is i guess um how like like how much you're actually being going to be able to do like if you're working at a startup they're going to like you know expect a lot out of you but also they will um you gotta see like are you just being just put into a spot where like it's just like okay you have to do all the stuff here's your thing go or like are they actually communicating with you helping you learn new things like it has to be an environment where they actually um care about your learning and about your own like development it should be that you know even if you were to leave the company right you are now a, like you know your career has improved because of this um i would say also like my personal experience working has been more like larger places right like the climax media and then this venture fund and when you're working at a, at a bit of a bigger place even though like climax media isn't like a huge company that's they're like like at the time there was like maybe like 25 30 people there um what you want to do is um almost any company that's a bit more like if you're in a startup they'll give you there's always a ton of work to do they'll always give you a bunch of work but if you're a company that's a little more established they'll give you they'll be more like you know they'll give you some tiny job because they're more afraid initially of the consequences of if they give you something important and then you make a whole mess of it right so you always want to make sure that you can prove that you know you do things very thoughtfully and methodically you don't make a mess and that you can be trusted with bigger things right and that can be done one is by doing your, the job you're assigned really well but two is you always got to think that you're thinking about the rest of the company right because if you're just there you're just showing up clocking in your time you did your task and that's it they'll never give you anything else to do because they don't think you have any interest in doing it right you have to um you know like uh like what i did at climax often is like we and i'm really like thankful that they were like so open-minded is like uh like we had all our stand-ups together and like as we were building and like also planning meetings together as well about like how we're actually going to do what we're building and so like when i had an idea or something i would just speak up and be like hey like maybe we can do it like this or like that to show like I actually understand what the rest of the product looks works and like how the tech behind it works and what can be done to improve it because it shows that you know more than just your little piece of like the universe. You're actually thinking about the rest. I'd love to hear your advice for any first years listening who might be thinking like, where do I go after Python? What kind of frameworks, platforms, languages should I be learning so that I can get a, a, an internship down the line? Yeah, so um, I guess it depends what you're going for. Like the probably the I think the easiest area to find work in is some sort of like well, I mean like well web development. Ideally, if you're a full stack, like that means they like if you're a full stack, it means anybody that has a hole to plug has a reason to bot to basically bring you in because whether they need some server dev, some front end dev, uh, sometimes that means though that they might like just give you a whole bunch of different stuff to work on but as long uh, and but i mean i i think that's a good thing in the end um 
I would say you should look into um, just like how the actual web works. Like if you're, even if you're doing Python, just like don't do just like your basic Python practice exercise or like calculate, or if like you're using Python for like um, ML or something like, yeah, like it's good to be able to run a model and stuff like that. But eventually that needs to get deployed somehow. So like learn how to make a Django server or a Flask server um so that those are the two more popular things flask is probably easier to start off with and then the django is i think a little more powerful later down the line but flask is the same thing as like express and node basically uh in node.js and javascript so i would say um if all you know is python learn how to make a server because almost anything you do will need to be deployed somehow on the internet eventually right um and then beyond that, um, the next best thing to learn would just be like JavaScript, uh, Node, uh, like Express, because like Yeah, I agree. I think that's really great advice. Um, that's all the questions I have for you, Vlad. Is there anything else uh, you'd like to talk about? Uh, no, no. I've, I've, I've got several of my questions answered. I think, I think your whole idea with treasured is very fascinating to me, and I'm, I want to look more into that. And just, yeah, it was, it was great to hear some of your, some of your feedback on, on your experiences and. And the advice you're giving, it's 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 nice to hear that from an, someone who's actually done it. Yeah, so. yeah. Um, a quick part before we leave is that like, you know, it's really not that scary to do a lot of this, uh, like to set up a lot of this like stuff online. Like I just recently did uh, a quick workshop during the UFT hackathon, right? And like in one hour, like you could actually get like you know a server deployed, sorry, a server built. Uh, deployed online, set up a content delivery network for it and like do all this other stuff. And like, there's so many companies out there right now making your jobs much, much easier and like your lives easier that like, you know, um, I would say don't underestimate what you can build because really, um, and, and like don't under, also don't overestimate the amount of time it would take to build certain things. Cause like, um, Nowadays, like there's a lot of stuff where you can just like uh, either with GitHub or AWS Amplify or um, like other things like there's ways where you can get stuff where it's almost like it always auto deploys for you. It's um, like or sorry with DigitalOcean, like there's applets where like literally all you do is you just like say, hey, here's the GitHub repo. There's my source code, deploy it. It deploys it, secures it for you, does all this other stuff. It's kind of magical to be honest, but like um, basically getting your stuff out there nowadays is a lot 
easier than you might think. And so I think the best thing that people can do is try and build something themselves, anything that they think is just kind of cool and interesting. Because if you're just trying to learn a language just for the sake of getting a job, like that can be like, okay, but eventually you're going to hit a roadblock where you like, don't just don't, don't care about it for whatever reason. But if you're doing it with like, oh, I want to build this cool thing. Like right now I just on my spare time, I'm building this thing called audio bar, which basically lets you, it's like a little browser thing. And in it, you can just quickly swap between different like music, background music, play sound effects. And I'm doing it just because like, I play this, I play um, Dungeons and Dragons with my friends online, where we basically like host a game, like a host of game together and we run a campaign and they, um, but I, I like to have background music audio playing, like if we're fighting or if we're in a town or we're in a tavern, but I've noticed like there's nothing like good to solve that situation that I found. Like I, I had, I used to have like 20 YouTube tabs open and I just like be like jumping between them trying to play the right background audio. So like, um, if you have something that you would want to build that you would actually use, it's a great way to also learn a new, a new, um, a new language or a new thing, like figure out something you would want to build and something cool that you would want to build it with. For example, like if you want to maybe learn go, like learn go and then build a server to do X. Right. Um, uh, but that X is something that you actually got to care about that you're interested in and that you might want to use yourself because then you'll actually be a lot more motivated to build it. All right. Well, oh, camera's being a little weird. Well, thank you so much, Nikita, for, for joining us on the Room 2250 podcast. You're our first guest and it was, it was very informative. Uh, we, we covered a lot of topics and uh, we, we look forward to hearing from you soon. Is there anywhere that uh, they can find you uh, that you want to link? Yeah, yeah. Like, I guess... Um... The best place might be to either go to, uh, I guess, my Twitter, which would be, I mean, actually, just Nikita Verabe, which like uh, V-A-R-A-B-E-I at the end. Um, or also, uh, if you want to learn more about, you know, just development in general, like I try to write really concise, very clear guides on my site, uh, essential.dev. Uh, so if you just want to see how not scary it is to build stuff online you can go over there all right well thanks so much for listening to the room 2250 podcast it was a pleasure having nikita on the show and uh we'll see you next time